0: You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: Welcome back to the program and a very happy Tuesday to you on a very snowy Tuesday here in Calgary. It's our two of The Big Show. No George Russick. My name is Matt Rose. Patty Dumont joins me now. GVP and Alex Brody running the board, running the show in the other room. Coming up. Just after the bottom of the hour, Adam Stanley is going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about Tiger Woods and the Genesis. I also want to ask him about Max Homa, uh, John Rahm, and the litany of Canadians who are scattered throughout the top of the FedEx Cup rankings. They're all playing well. They're doing pretty good. Svensson, the top ranked well, of the most recent tournament. I love yeah, to man. see him. Hendryth, Taylor, Corey Connors. Corey Connors is still really good. Mac Hughes, man, sure. But right now we go down the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to uh, talk to uh, a good friend of the show, Jason Bukola. Good morning, Jason. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic,
0: guys. How are you? Uh, is the connection all right? It's uh, kind of uh, can you hear me all right on your end?
1: You know what? We're going to reconnect really quick. We're going to drop you. It's just a little bit choppy, but we'll uh, we'll try and get you on in a moment here. All right. Uh, if you could just do that, GVP, perfect. But we've got a lot yeah. to talk about. The Calgary Flames lose yesterday. Mm-hmm. Jason has a story coming out on Sportsnet.ca, I believe it's it's coming out today if it's not already up. Um, and it's a scouts analysis story where he basically talks about uh, how the Calgary Flames mm-hmm. should approach the trade deadline, or could I think would be a better way to. He kind of lays out several different options. Yep, takes a look at the contracts on the team, takes a look at all that type of stuff the prospect pool, the draft pick capital, all those things, and kind of examines how the group should approach the trade deadline. So uh, I'm excited to dive into it for sure. Uh, We'll also get into a couple of individuals here today around the Flames. But uh, Jason, do we have to be back?
0: We got, yeah, guys, like this is uh, perfect timing. This is like kind of like how the Flames season has gone. It's been a little disjointed. (laughs) So the timing was awesome right there.
1: There right you there. go. Yeah. See, that's a segue right there. You're already professional, Jason. Um, listen, uh, this these stories that you've been doing, the scouts analysis on uh, how to approach trade deadlines, I've really enjoyed the series as a whole. But today, one that relates to this market, and uh, I think that a lot of people are going to be intrigued to take a read as to what you think or what you believe or what you see as some of the options for the Calgary Flames as the deadline approaches. Can you just maybe um, give us an insight into – how you would define this team as maybe a buyer or a seller as we're you know 11 days from the deadline?
0: Well, it's been it's been hard to wrap my mind around the inconsistency of the Calgary Flames, and it's taken uh, a good couple of weeks to break down absolutely everything. I think everybody would agree that in the past couple of seasons, um, the Flames as a group have been identified. You know, it's kind of a heavy, hard team, um, difficult to play against, Um, you know, last year, obviously, big and strong on the back end. And um, this year, you know, they've been struggling to, in my mind, find an identity. And so with that in mind, I started to, you know, kind of peel back the onion, if you will. And I wanted to see if they were still playing what I would classify as Daryl Sutter kind of hockey. And It would be surprising, I think, to a lot of people to hear that, you know, things like their shot blocking is actually up this year. Their body contact in terms of hits as a group is up this year. Um, Their shots on goal um, against is down this year. So (laughs) it starts to reveal some pretty obvious things, and that is their goal scoring is down half a goal a game. And they've been in a lot of one-goal games and uh, overtime games as well two things they're not getting big saves when they need big saves and they're not getting the production they need from their horses up front and i don't know how i can simplify it any more than that that's just the reality of it so having said all of that who do you start to target well the goal sending isn't something that you can target i don't believe i think that uh, you're you know it is what it is unless you want to pull up uh, dustin wolf from the uh, miners who's just you know hmm. so impressive down there for the wranglers it's ridiculous guys what he's doing we've talked about it before but you think it would stop at some point in time? It just doesn't end. The kid just keeps stopping pucks all over the place. Um, but they need some goal scoring up front, and they need some guys that are going to play with more of an identity up front. Um, but on top of that, the general manager went out and acquired some high end talent, and they haven't performed up to uh, up to their standard. And uh, the the second layer below that, the Magioponies, for example, have fallen way off. His his shooting percentages 9% when it's uh, historically been around 18% and he's not getting enough bucks in the uh, in the hard areas to you know to to cash in on chances so i know that's a long-winded answer mm-hmm. um, i I'm, uh, I'm disappointed in the team like i could talk forever about it i really am
1: yeah and i think that there's a lot of people around town who feel the exact same way and i i guess we could dive into some of the particulars and you mentioned the goaltending and, and with Jacob Markstrom, this is a guy who last year Second, he was the runner-up to Igor Shosturkin in the, the Vesna Trophy voting. But I look around the league, and maybe it's the naive optimist in me, but I see Connor Hellebuck having the year he's having after a down year last season. I say, hey, maybe he can get back to his form next year. I just don't know if it's going to be this season. Do you think that there could be a, a way, after your deep dive into his numbers, that he kind of rebounds next season?
0: You know, I think he might be starting to get to that point in his career where – um you know he's definitely maybe he's not going to be a the finalist like he was last year. I was hoping he was. Like he was right on my radar to be a guy this year. Um you know coming off like a 922 and I don't know what it was like 2.29 last year or something like that. Um this year you know he's below 900 and he's he's approaching 3 and his goals against average. Um can he rebound? I don't think he's as maybe as good as he was last year, but he's definitely not as bad as he is right now either. Like and I'm not using that that term loosely. Like, at this time of year, I was watching the game a lot yesterday in Philly. And when guys walk to the middle of the ice and you're as big as Markey is, you know, I know they're NHL shooters, but mm-hmm. it's that time of the year that the Connor Hellebucks are making those saves. I think we would all agree with that. We need a stop here and there. But let's also say something else. When your team is down um, in their goal scoring, it puts more stress on the goaltender. Uh, in terms of, you better make every save because we're yeah. not scoring enough goals. So, um, you know, it's a double-edged sword that way.
1: Yeah, and, and we've heard the exasperation from some of the goaltending coaches and everybody around the team. It's it's just one of those things where you kind of look at it and say, I, I don't know if there's an in-season solution here, but just keep chipping away, I guess. Patty Dumas also joins us here on The Morning Show, Jason.
2: Jason, uh, you, you're quite uh, up. The date with uh, with one Jonathan Huberto. You were in Florida when uh, when he was drafted and whatnot. And and now he's on pace for his worst statistical season since 2016. Uh, one thing I've noticed is he, his shots way down. 88, 88 shots this year. I know he's not meant for the shot. You know, that's not his game. But just like, what are you seeing in his game offensively? You know, he he has a really good Jonathan Huberto game against the Rangers there on Saturday, the two assists. And then yesterday... You know the, the sprung on the two on oh with Kadri. Just what are you seeing with Jonathan Huberdeau right now?
0: Not enough. Yeah. I haven't seen enough. I mean, I, I've I've seen him forever. Um, I've seen him grow as a as a young prospect and obviously into an elite uh, pro at the NHL level. But um, the best way I can describe Jonathan when I watch the Calgary Flames is he was pretty free flowing if you will, when he was in Florida, like it was, um, you know, uh, you, you let your, your offensive instincts and you let your brain take over, you know, you just, you just naturally do the things that you, uh, you do very well. And it just comes to you and you're, you've got that, that freedom to do it in, in Calgary. Um, he looks stuck on some nights. It's like he's overthinking mm-hmm. things. And I think that that speaks to his shot total. Um, this guy can shoot the puck. Like he, he, It's not that he can't shoot the puck. He can shoot the puck. But I've lost track of how many nights this year, where I've seen him get it in, you know, not even grade A areas. Like you don't even have to be in the middle of the ice. Let's say some, shoot something off the flank coming off the half wall, just get it to the net, you know, rebound's as good as a pass, type thing. Yeah. And there's been nights nice where it's like, buddy, Get the puck to the net because that little play that you tried to make on the half ball, you know, your opponent's going back up the ice the other way. And I don't know. It's, um, it's perplexing. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He, he, he needs to give more. He's better than this, and, and they need more out of him.
2: Uh, What did you make of the Alan Walsh tweet after the the Detroit game? Obviously, Walsh being Huberto's agent. I don't know if you had any dealings with him, obviously being in a different part of the front office. But uh, Walsh obviously talking about, uh, you know, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. That was more of a uh, maybe a dig at the franchise and then more of a, you know, there's not a lot of fun happening around this group right now, at least in Walsh's eyes. What did you make of the tweet?
0: I didn't like it at all, and like and i've I've dealt with Alan over the years um you know with with players, and I have a lot of respect for Alan he's mm-hmm. like you know people people only see um when out when he tweets something that's what you see right, so that's how you you paint a picture of the individual and and I mean, I guess that's fair in the social media world that we live in. It's delicate, um but he's done a lot of good for a lot of players, like he really battles hard for his players and he yep. wants uh the, the players to be very successful in the big picture. Did it, but but that tweet, I woke up to that tweet and I read it and you know some of my coffee came back up if you will. Like it, it just was like there's no need for that. It's unnecessary. It doesn't make things better, um, and it puts uh, more of a, a bullseye on Jonathan's back in my opinion. He's already trying to let's be honest, his client's having a down year. Um, he's also one of the highest paid players on the on the team going yeah. forward, and he's coming off 115 points. Like this is the NHL guys, like. You know, sooner or later, you just got to be an athlete and step up and get the job done. So that kind of stuff, it irks me. I don't like it. I totally disagree with it.
2: Mackenzie Wieger, he uh, he was the horse in Florida. His ice time is down four and a half minutes. So what are you seeing? How is he, you know, taken to that, you think?
0: So that's an interesting point, and I'm in agreement with this. Wieg uh, is the kind of guy, and there are players like this who – their game improves the more and more and more they play. And, you know, almost to the brink of exhaustion, you actually get the the most out of the player. Um, less is more when you're a little bit more tired. I know some people, when they get exhausted, their brain starts to wander and, you know, you, you have a tired brain, you make tired plays. But in regard to him, um, I think that he's capable of playing more. I would I would personally, if I was asked in a, in a room in Calgary, I would personally run him out for four or five minutes more for about a a five game segment, let's call it, and see what the results look like. I think that you would see um more out of leagues that way and uh and it would you know it would help with the process the big picture process um but let's be clear like the back end for for calgary it hasn't really been the problem right like, you know mm-hmm. like it it it's you know there's a lot of things we can we can kind of pull coals in here but um when your goalie's giving up half a goal more a game and you're not scoring half a goal uh, up front, I mean, we can really start to simplify things, can't we?
1: Yeah, it's you, you're missing a goal there, and look at you're leading the league in one goal games. I don't think those are uh, those are symptoms of each other, without a doubt. I wanted to ask you about a couple more forwards here, Jason. Uh, Andrew Mangiapane, uh, 35 goals last year. He gets a nice extension. This year, the shooting percentage is way down, and for me... He just hasn't been able to get maybe the puck luck, or or maybe he's just not even getting to those dirty areas. What are you seeing from Andrew Mangiapane this year?
0: I think you just uh, summed it up perfectly. Um, Exactly that. I don't don't see the interior uh, drive and the interior will um, to uh, get a second opportunity on a puck. So um, he's not finding the puck in the hard areas as much, and he's definitely not going to get it or trying to like, he's not when Mario on, he does have a little bit of rat to him at times, right? Like he can get in there and he can dig for things and, you know, he, he doesn't go away. I haven't seen enough of that. And I haven't, you know, he's another guy that when I watch, I, I don't love his body language this year. Um, I'm looking for more drive down the stretch out of him as well. And, um, you know, going back, if if we can just circle back to the beginning a little bit, you know, we were talking about trade deadline and, you know, they do have some cap space and there are some guys out there in the market that I think can, can help this team out. I think they need to get a guy up front maybe too that identify um, a certain way. So like an Ivan Barbershop from St. Louis identifies a certain way. You know, like if he's not scoring, he's going to be a distraction. Mm-hmm. He's going to go to the hard areas. He's going to play hard. Like Noel Chari is going to do that in Toronto. You know what I mean? Um, they need a distraction up front because their bottom six guys, They're not really creating enough of a distraction. So they need a middle six guy who can create more of a distraction to open up space for some of these other guys.
1: You mentioned the body language from Andrew. And uh, this year in particular, when you compare year to year, I feel like, you know, across the board, there's some guys that when things aren't going their way, you can tell without hearing a word from them, just the way that they're kind of moving about on the ice. And have you noticed that, that same thing? Do you think that's an issue for the Calgary Flames?
0: I do I do I think that they're uh they look like a team that's treating um coming to the rank like a job and I know it is their job, so I don't want anybody to misunderstand this but you know they're you know when we wake up we all have those days right we wake up oh, I don't want to go to the office today or, or whatever the case is and um and you you mope through half a day well in the n h l you can't have days off and and they look like a team that's treating it like a job. And half the time they're excited to be there and half the time they're not. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a throwback when it comes to this kind of stuff. I know that there's, there's always noise at the NHL level about the coach or about this player on the team that's, you know, uh, stirring the drink in the room the wrong way. And um, here's the thing. These are elite athletes at the very top of their profession. Get over it you know that you've got to make some adjustments to make things work just let's get it done you know what i mean and and sooner or later you you're going to be staring at are we a play playoff team or are we not a playoff team and and i think the next 2 weeks are are extremely important this little road trip that's going on right here um it's going to be interesting to see how they play against Arizona isn't it to mm-hmm. to see if they look further beyond the Arizona game um and they can't afford this one game on one game off thing. Like it's 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 tiresome
1: Do you think this team feels the the lack of a captain?
0: Oh, you know, that's a good question. (laughs) I think that they feel, um, the lack of a genuine outspoken team representative slash leader. So I guess my answer is yes. Um, I've seen Tanya talk a little bit more um, mm-hmm. in recent weeks um, you know, and come out that way. I think that emotionally and in terms of team toughness, like nobody's tougher than Chris Haneb on that team. Um, um, you know he might be that guy. Um, I think the short answer is yes they they I'm not so sure that the room with new people coming into the room, yeah. I'm not so sure that they all know how to hold each other accountable right now.
1: It's going to be fascinating to watch not only the rest of this season, but get into the off season as well. And uh, like you mentioned, you know, out of the playoffs right now, these next two weeks are going to be real big for the club. Um, we'll, we'll park it on the flames there. I know we could probably do hours and hours on this group as a whole, but uh, I did want to ask you about the big deal over the weekend too, with Ryan O'Reilly going from the Blues to the Toronto Maple Leafs. How do you like the fit? How much do you like the acquisition cost as well? And Nolachari should throw him in there as well as a valuable player.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like I like the fit. I love the fit, actually. Um, my thing with O'Reilly is, um, uh, you know, his pace. He's never been a burner, guys. Like, he's been, mm-hmm. a, you know, what I call, um, you know, average plus skater. Um, but the thing there, too, is that Tabara's fits the same mold. So moving him to the wing is a good thing, I believe. I think O'Reilly, that's a nice fit. So he got more leadership, face-off uh, savvy, fresh start. He was not very good in St. Louis this year. The whole team wasn't the Chari's a real good ad for them. In terms of the um, the the cost to do it, I'm okay with it. It's really expensive, mm. but the time is uh, for the crown uh, Maple Leafs. The time is now. Like, if you want to really win with that core, let's let's give them these extra tools that I don't think they're done yet, and then figure out if they can do it or not. Because if they can't do it this time around with these ads and maybe one more ad on the back end, now you're telling your now you have to look along hard at that core and say, okay, maybe we got to move one of these guys up because this clearly isn't getting it done. So. They have zero draft capital going forward. Like it's going to be tough, uh, but uh, that's that's a story for another day.
1: Hey, at least the Lightning also have a lack of draft capital. Like I'm intrigued to see if we see a little arm race between the two uh, second and third place teams in the Atlantic here.
0: Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fascinating. Who gets home ice advantage? They're kind of creeping towards each other a little bit there. That might mm-hmm. be the uh, that might be the one thing. That might be the wild card in that whole
1: scenario. Uh, do you think that home ice advantage would be important to the Toronto Maple Leafs? Cause my thought on them this year has been, if there's a game seven, I don't know if you want to play in front of that nervous crowd in round one against Tampa Bay.
0: No, I think it's actually better for them. I think that they're at the stage where they would, uh, with some of the acquisitions, um, you know, like an O'Reilly, like, uh, um, who's. You know, he's been a huge playoff performer. He's better yeah. in the playoffs than he is in the regular season. Um, you start to add that into your room, and and now you start from a leadership. Like we're talking about the planes with the leadership, or or you know, no nobody wearing a captain. Like they just added another captain into their room who's won a Stanley Cup. So now, you know, you start to embrace everything, and he's he's a he's a security blanket in the room when it comes to that. And it's a big it's a big deal that way.
1: Jason, always appreciate the chat. I'm really looking forward to your piece today. It is a super in-depth dive on on the Flames and and really everything throughout the entire franchise and how they can approach the trade deadlines coming up in 11 days. Uh, Our coverage will be for Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar and Tuxedo Source for Sports. And we'll have to get you on around the deadline as well to break down all the moves that we see because I always love your scouts analysis.
0: Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Have a great day.
1: Always a pleasure. Jason Bukla. Uh, from Sportsnet. His scouts mm-hmm. analysis piece on the Calgary Flames is going to be up later today. I just scoured
2: sportsnet.ca. I don't think it's up there.
1: No, it's not up yet. Uh,
2: is but it'll he, be up there today. Yeah, but uh, he's going to go deep dive. If, if anything, like just read the O'Reilly like, article. Have you read the
1: other ones? Like the scouts yeah. analysis on how... Like like we talked about the Oilers one way back when he started the series. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a deep... Theme. It's a great hire for Sportsnet. What Jason Buchla brings to the to this company, what his knowledge is with his yeah. scouting ability. He's got his own company and everything. It's awesome.
1: Um, I will say... There wasn't
2: a lot to maybe be excited about in there if you're a Flames fan. No, and except w- for the Dustin Wolf thing. <laughs> Yes, yes, definitely the Dustin Wolf. That thing was sure. good. I saw him. I actually went to the first my first Wranglers game on Friday, and he was he was the player. Didn't he, he put on a, a show Friday? Yeah, yeah. It was one uh, one. <laughs> it was an overtime game. Two one. Uh, Ilya Soloviev with his first goal. Soloviev with his first goal. I think he's a yeah. He's a he's a Flames prospect. Yeah, he's and, a uh, like a mid round pick. He won the won an overtime for him two one. But yeah, Dustin Wolf. Like every time, like that guy is. He's gonna be a player, hopefully. I know his everybody's like he talks about his size and everything and mm-hmm. I know it's not this year. Maybe end of next year you see him up on a call up or something like that. But Dustin Wolf is a guy for sure to be excited about. He's the number one prospect in the in the organization. Mm, I think that's a little bold, but I like I it. Think that's, I think that's—I think that's actually what Scott Wheeler put him at. I think he okay. is the number one prospect. In his most recent, yeah. One. I think that, that, I'm not just just going off on my I'm own tangent. That. Here. You just feel it. Like no, I—I th- actually but, think Scott Wheeler put him that's as number your one. your scouts' analysis after <laughs> watching him play one <laughs> yeah, game. One game, Dustin <laughs> Wolf, best prospect in the organization. <laughs> um, but I mean, he's probably two or three. Oh, he's without a doubt at the top four. I like, just think there's mine. I, I just don't think. Oh, that no, it's Coronado one, then Wolves.
1: I don't know if there's anybody who's really that clear cut ahead of everybody. Like it's not like this is a group that's waiting on an Owen Power or a, yeah or a Luke Hughes or something
2: like yeah, that. Yeah, There's nobody like just knocking down the door that's yeah. going to be like, hey, we're going to be in a regular yeah. NHL all I, the time. I, like here. what
1: we've seen from Peltier, yeah. I think that's pretty much exactly what I expected from the young man. Yeah. Yeah, I he's mean he's had some chances. You would have liked to see a little more offense. He's had some better games. He's had some not so good
2: games. Yeah, of late. I mean he's playing young. Yeah, he's gonna find learn. his way. I've learned you know, it's the best way to learn is get thrown into the deep end of the pool here. And that's what he's doing. Here's one thing I can tell you.
1: Even if the Flames don't make the playoffs with so the Wranglers, they probably will. Uh right now, first place in the Pacific Division, they're 36, 12, and two on the season. Yeah, they got
2: six points up on Coachella Valley right now.
1: Yeah, they've got a win percentage that is seven forty, which uh don't look now, but that is the best win percentage in the entire AHL by 25 points. Yeah. Yeah. They're that much better than the Toronto Marlies. So they're a fun team to watch. But they don't have a ton of home games left this season. They got Um, Henderson back-to-back here Wednesday, Friday. Yeah, I believe they go on a little bit of a road trip here um, in a moment. But, yeah. That's also some good hockey if you want to go check out the Wranglers. For sure.
2: Um but yeah, it, it will be interesting to see what the Flames uh, approach here. I think it's all been like, oh, he's going to take the uh, Brad's going to take the 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 cues from the from the group, and man, I mean, yeah, this team like like we say like yeah, they play lower teams below them not as well, but they tend to play better against teams that are above them in the standings. So we'll see, we'll see what happens here, and it's a tough tough five games here. Yeah, it really
1: is. Uh, two games against Henderson tomorrow. And Thursday Mm. for the Wranglers. Well, it's Thursday. Okay. And then after that, they've only got six home games in April. Apart from that, it is all on the road. They actually close out the regular season with six straight road games. Jeez. So if you want to grab your Wranglers tickets, go ahead and uh, go ahead and grab them. We'll take a break. Jason Buchla joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dining in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take out our delivery at 403-248-3344. And the guest hotline is getting itself a workout today. We're going right back down to the chat with Adam Stanley around the corner. And Peter Labardius and Greg Wyshynski will also join us in the 8 a.m. hour. Right here, Sports at 960 The Fan.
3: Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review
2: the show.
1: Welcome back to the show. It's the big show in the morning. George Rusick away for a couple of days. Patty Dumas sitting in with me. GVP and Alex Brody in the other room. We're live in the Doug Lacey Basement Systems downtown studio. And we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with our next guest because, boy, was the golf fun this weekend. Tiger Woods returned to the RIV at the Genesis. He was the host and he made the cut. There's some pretty decent CanCon in there as well. And a real fun Sunday to crown the champion. We say good morning to Adam Stanley. Hello, Adam. How are you, my man?
3: Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Doing very good. Uh, did you enjoy a uh, family day with the, the new youngster?
3: <laughs> yes, thank you very much. We uh, we did. It was my brother in law's fortieth birthday this weekend, so we had a little uh, awesome. little celebration there. And then, yeah, I've got a I've got a five month old here at home, our first one, and uh, she turned five months on uh, on the eighteenth of February. So. Every day is different. We're learning lots. We're figuring it all out, but she uh she now sticks her tongue out at me when I stick my tongue out at her. So that was a big it was a big moment this
1: weekend. Yeah, we're moving in the right direction. Love that. We are. First family are day happening. first family days out of the way. Now are you excited for Mother's Day and Father's Day as well? Like that's got to be something you got on the calendar here.
3: Yeah, I mean it's uh it's crazy. I mean uh, those those things will be fun sort of celebration <laughs> moments as well, but uh um yeah, it's just, like, it's totally different. It's totally neat. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a dad now. It's, like, you know, part of the personality, and it's just, uh, it's crazy, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun.
1: How much is the young one watching uh, the golf? Was she just enamored with Tiger Woods like you were over the weekend?
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny. when uh, When she was, like, three weeks old or whatever it was, I was just, you know, obviously... Not really doing a whole heck of a lot, just kind of holding her. But uh, Mackenzie Hughes won, you know, when she was like three weeks old or whatever it was, which was great. And then, you know, she was six or seven weeks old, and then Adam Svensson won on the PGA tour. And mm. then she was two months old, and Brooke Henderson won on the LPGA tour. And it's like, listen, lady, you're uh, you're, you're providing a bit of a good luck charm for the uh, for the Canadians here. We we like that. But uh, yeah, she she'll be a Tiger fan. I'm, I'm sure she did not watch too much of the golf this particular weekend, but uh, I did I did most of that
1: what did you make of the return uh, it was it was grabbed all the headlines and of course he he goes out he makes the cut uh, the the first round thursday with the three birdies to close it out i just thought like you couldn't keep your eye off it
3: it was that it was unbelievable like just the the buzz that you could feel kind of through your television when uh, through the internet when you were seeing it uh, kind of unfold one, one hole at a time, makes the birdie. And then the the birdie on 17, I think that was the one from like 25 feet, mm-hmm. um, which was amazing. And then on 18, he basically stuffed it to three or four and uh, makes the third one and has the sheepish grin. And, and Justin <laughs> Thomas got, got all excited. And I think all three of the guys, JT and Rory and Tiger all made birdies on, on 18 there to, to wrap it up. So I think the interesting thing for me watching Tiger play golf this weekend was the, Guy still has all the shots, you know, like he, um, you know, he can, he can hit those irons tight. He's still got so much speed and power off the tee as well. Like, you know, 180 miles an hour ball speed is, is more than, you know, JT and, and okay, Rory is a bit of a, uh, an anomaly, but you know, 180 miles an hour ball speed on a guy with one and a quarter legs, like it's pretty darn impressive. So you know, he's got all of that. it it's really is the the walking and kind of the physical efforting from point A to B that that's kind of holding it back. So, um, you know, that's, that's the stuff I was most impressive. Like he hasn't let go any of his, of his golfing work. The, the shots are still there. Uh, the touch is still there. Yeah. He was a little bit rusty, which makes total sense, but um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, This is a guy who, at 48 years old, an old 48 years old, Hmm. on one and a quarter legs, he still made the cut at arguably one of the toughest golf courses the guys play all year, you know, at an elevated event against one of the best fields of the year. um, And it was pretty impressive.
1: What did you make of kind of the way that, like, like you've talked about, the way that he was able to physically get through it? Like, did you feel like you were noticing him laboring, like maybe we had seen in some of the recent tournaments that he had played?
3: not not particularly yeah. like that was certainly something that you had like an eye on just because of the the background to it but you know, the, the gait, the limp, like it was pretty bad, but it was way more pronounced sort of at the end of last season. uh, And certainly uh, at kind of the middle part of last year when he had to withdraw from, uh, from the PGA. And, uh, you know, obviously he missed the cut at the the British as well. So um, I guess it just kind of makes total sense though. I mean, last year he was, you know, not that far removed from the accident and from the recovery. I think he teed it up last year, basically as, as part of his recovery, but now, you know, he's, he's much further away from, from that. Uh, the time has kind of healed the the wound itself. Um, now he's got the plantar fasciitis stuff that he's trying to navigate too. But um, yeah, I think the limp, I, I, from the sounds of it will not be going away anytime soon, but uh, he definitely looked Looked much better. He looked like an athlete, and, you know, obviously, like I said, he's, he's got the speed, he's got the shot. Uh, now it's just a matter of making sure that the, that the recovery and the physiotherapy and all that other stuff is, is kind of installed in his routine so that he can, you know, play all four rounds and, and kind of hang in there uh, a little bit better.
1: Adam Stanley, Golf Insider, joining us here on The Big Show with Russick and Rose. No Russick. I'm Rose. He's Patty Dumas.
2: Adam, talk about the Canucks on tour, man. Six guys in the top 100 of the FedEx Cup standings. We had Adam Svensson with a top nine finish here at the Genesis. Obviously, Nick Taylor's having a great year. Taylor Pendrith, but CanCon, man, it's the best it's ever been.
3: It is, and I think uh, I saw in the I saw on Twitter last night that there have been 14 events on the PGA Tour this season, and in eight of them. There's been a Canadian in the top ten, so you know, it's not it, it's not just like a casual kind of like oh the yeah oh, I heard the guys are having a half decent year. It's like no no no, they're probably having their best year like ever as a, as a collective as a Canadian PGA Tour collective from top to bottom. Each of the fellas are are kind of they're in their prime for lack of a better description. I mean all these guys kind of in their late twenties, early thirties uh, winners on the PGA tour, all of them other than Taylor Pendret, who, who, uh, for all intents and purposes is probably going to be trending towards one yeah. uh, at some point this year. Uh, and it's just kind of, they're all, they're all pushing each other. Uh, they're all friends. They're all seeing the success of one another. Uh, and I think it, it's never been kind of a more exciting time to be, you know, in the mix of, of Canadian golf and following it even casually. If you're taking a look on a weekend, you're not going to be like, Oh, where's the Canadians? Well, more often than not, there's going to be a guy uh, right there kind of near the top, or at least in the conversation. And, uh, you know, they, they had this week uh, West Palm, Michael Gligic, he's on the tour, yep. he's going to be teeing it up this week. Ben Silverman got a sponsor exemption. Ben won on the Corn Ferry Tour mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago. And then Aaron he Rogers. won the Celebrity Division with Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. Exactly right. So he's back, and then uh, Pendrith is teeing it up, and, and Famous Fenton uh, at number 10 on the FedEx Cup. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, like you said, specifically... As a collection of guys, the Canadians on the PGA Tour, never been a better start to their season. And, and now with the major championships and the players, of course, in a couple of weeks around the corner, uh, could be a pretty darn big year for the fellas for sure.
1: Adam, you mentioned Ben Silverman. And I just wanted to ask, going back to the Pro-Am, how big of a sandbagger yeah. is Aaron Rodgers?
3: I think uh, you know that that's not really for me to speak to, but from the, the pros, from the pros and the other celebs, it did seem like Aaron Rodgers was uh, you know was juicing that handicap of his uh, ever, ever so slightly because Ben Silverman, like that dude, missed the cut, like he missed the pro cut. He was you know three or four over par, and yet he and Aaron Rodgers won the celebrity division by a by a hefty margin. So. You know, numbers don't lie. Who am I to say? But it does yeah. seem like uh, Aaron Rodgers' handicap could maybe stand to be uh, analyzed a little bit tighter for next season.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk about Nick Taylor, you know, like a guy fifth on the money list, the resurgence of his career. How special it is watching this guy?
3: Yeah, I mean, Nick, uh, Nick is kind of the most successfully boring Canadian <laughs> on the PGA Tour. Oh, hey, and that's... I say that with, like, the most, like, the heftiest amount of respect of because he's just always there. Like he's going to, he's going to have a, a couple of half decent results. He's going to be steady. He's going to be inside that 125. one twenty five. He's going to make a million and a half dollars every year. And every once in a while, he's going to have a really, really good week. We saw it in Phoenix uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's won twice on the PGA tour. And I think only five, Canadians have ever won more than him uh, in the history of the game on the PGA tour. Like, you know, there, there haven't been Canadians who have won more than twice Uh, there, you know, not so much more than one handful of them. And you look at Svenny and Adam Hadwin and Corey Connors, um and all those guys they've only won once and and nick has been the guy to win twice so you know if you're out there and if you're in the top 125 and if you're in the mix and you're making a million and a half two million dollars and you're and you're happy and you're you know you're obviously having a lot of success because uh nick actually changed a, a lot of his team at the end of last year he's got a new coach he's got a new caddy i just wanted to really rejuvenate um, his on-course efforting, and, and obviously uh, that's been paying a lot of dividends so far this season. So uh, nice to see Nick play as well as he had, especially considering the huge change at the end of last year. And, um, you know, he's just one of those guys that's uh, going to be steady Eddie from now until the time that he decides to uh, to hang it up.
1: So Nick Taylor enters uh, this upcoming weekend fifth in the money rankings for the entire PGA, but way up at the top is John Rahm. What a start to the season he yeah. is having Is anybody going to beat this guy for like the rest of the tour?
3: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's certainly not showing any reasons why he could be, why he could be beat. He's just got, got the whole package. Uh, He's finished inside the top 10 in every single tournament that he's played so far this season. So that's six, six events, six top 10 and three of them, of course, are victories. And and he had a chance to win in Phoenix last week Mm -hmm. as well. So, um, it's just it's just one of those things. Like, golf is a fickle game. I mean, we saw it with Scotty Scheffler a year ago. Scotty Scheffler won four times, uh, including the Masters, and then uh, honestly kind of dropped off as as the year went on. So, you know, how, is John Roms pedal down on the floor full on? Absolutely it is. Does it, does it look like anyone can beat him? No. Uh, But every single week is different. Every single tournament's different. Um, Every single condition, every travel situation, maybe his two kids are going to have, you know, crappy sleeps during a week and he's not going to be playing pretty well. Like all of those factors happen in professional golf. John Rahm is the best player in the world right now. He's playing the best golf of anyone absolutely, bar none, sign in on the dotted line, no argument whatsoever. Uh, but like I said, every week's different. And when we come to Augusta, maybe he's going to have a bad week. Mm. When we come to the U.S. Open, maybe he's going to have a bad week. And it's just one of those things with, with pro golf that, um, yeah, the, the history and, and how someone's trending is a big-time important part of it. Um, but there's so many variables with pro golf, unlike other sports, that um, you know he might, uh, he might have, a, have a bad run and then have another good run. But as it stands right now, it's really really impressive to watch John Rom play golf.
1: Max Homa has become a fan favorite real fast on the tour, whether it's his Twitter presence or just how real of a dude he seems. Like that post-match press conference where he got super emotional yesterday, really wanting to win at the Riv, this Genesis Invitational, a big tournament for him down in California. What have you made of the season for Max Homa and and just the almost relatability that he kind of Brings to the table.
3: Yeah. I think the funny thing about Max Homa is that, you know, he's ha-ha, like, he's ha ha funny. Like he's yeah. a really good dude. And everyone kind of relates to him because, um, you know, they see what he does in his life and they see that he's not afraid to, you know, make chirps or make digs or go on podcasts, you know, even after he wins and all these things. But then you kind of, take a bit of a deeper dive and you realize that this dude's like eighth in the world. Like mm. it's, it's a really, it's really cool to see, you know, with golf being so individualistic, it, it's a singular person having su- singular successes or failures. And the fact that Max Homer can be ha ha funny, but also be, you know, ninth in the world is, is pretty impressive and pretty exciting and pretty darn cool as well. You know, when, when we're in this era of, you know social media engagement, and you're trying to drive drive you know fan interest, and you're trying to you know have this platform of the PGA Tour, uh, you know as an entity versus you know obviously the Live Golf Tour and and its challenges and everything that they're saying and bringing to the table. The fact that you have someone like Max Homa who's great on social media, but also inside the ropes, is an absolute killer. Uh, you know, is a is a big time win for the PGA Tour. So great season for him so far. You know, again someone who's really consistent, someone who has, you know, proven themselves on big stages. The only thing that's really holding Max Homa back and and everyone's super curious about how this is all going to unfold this year is that his major championship record stinks. He is (laughs) not, he has not been very good at majors in his career. I think it's like one top 40 finish in his career at majors. So um, uh, that's going to be certainly a big proving ground for him this year at the four biggest events of the season um but no argument from me that that max has had you know a great start to the year uh and is super relatable he's super funny uh he's just a great he's just a great dude and he's really easy to root for as well
1: i'm almost finished watching full swing on uh, on the old netflix and um i've learned that winning majors it was what determines if you're a legend of the game or not that gets repeated multiple times over the doc i just wonder what you thought i'm sure you've uh perused it a little Better bit cuts.
0: yeah
3: yeah yeah no we've uh i've watched the first four episodes um I, i'm in the midst of binging the the last four now is that the damon uh, I mean, episode appearance uh, yeah da- oh. damon was number four so, so i was good. in that one so randomly good. it was yeah <laughs> but that's it's another guy obviously it's another guy just like max who's it's become easier to root for he's the every man you know he's he's just one of those guys that's really really good at golf but also really real and i think that Mm -hmm. you know personalities like that happen in in pro golf so yeah i mean i think from you know the netflix the program perspective as a golf guy as someone who's made a living in following the game you know there's obviously not that much kind of new stuff that has come from the doc but i think they did their best with you know, the drama that was installed, Mm -hmm. you know, in pro golf last year uh, to try to make it relatable. Uh, You know, there's 290 million people who have Netflix. So, you know, not all of them are going to be golf people or even know what golf is about, but they'll know what drama is. So kudos to that whole creative team for making that happen. And um, yeah, I think from sort of a major championship perspective, you look at why Tiger Woods' legacy is what it is. Mm -hmm. Certainly the on-course legacy. Yeah. Okay. Fine. He won 82 times on the PGA tour, but you know, he, he, not just he didn't just win major championships he dominated major championships in a way that we have never seen before and and may never see ever again so for some of these guys like john roms got uh got that us open trophy in his in his case max homa has no major championship you know results to speak of uh and we've got colin morikawa you go down that leaderboard he's won two majors already uh, JT's won two majors, Jordan Spieth's won three, but it's been years since he's done it. Same as Rory McIlroy, he's going to go for the career grand slam at the, uh, at the Masters this year. So, yeah, we, we see the bodies of work of these guys getting the number one in the world and, um, you know, having success on the PGA Tour. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to sort of legacy and, and ongoing storylines and narratives about these guys' careers, it all goes back to the majors.
1: I wanted to ask you uh, just one other thing I thought up here, and and you mentioned the Joel Damon episode, and I I really enjoyed it because of the relationship he has with his caddy, Gino. And I think that's something that is maybe a little bit um, unknown about some guys on the tour, just the relationships that they have with their caddies. Like, when you watch that episode, is there any other maybe tandems on tour that you think of where there's a golfer and his caddy and they are best pals and and just two guys that you want to go grab a drink with?
0: Yeah
3: I think um uh, Mac, Max and his caddy are childhood friends they kind of grew up playing junior golf together uh just like Joel and Gino which I think is you know is kind of an important part of you know friendship and business relationship and all mm-hmm. these things because a lot of the guys on tour you know have a caddy because they've become their business partner they aren't necessarily you know their friend you know certainly i spend most of my time covering the canadians and we've kind of got a bit of a a bit of a mix in, in so far as like guys who have business partners and guys who have friends you know cory uh, his caddy is is a little bit older but has kind of turned from business partner to friend uh, adam hadwin's caddy is a friend Nick Taylor ha- went kind of the business partner route for a bunch of years. And then he got um, a buddy of his from, um, you know, b- from Ontario, played uh, played golf at Kent State with mm. uh, Pendrith and Matt Hughes and Corey Connor. So, you know, that's turned their relationship around a little bit too. Um, Mackenzie Hughes has a buddy of his from uh, from back in, in southwestern Ontario uh, as well. And Taylor Pendrith's got a buddy of his from Toronto. So, you know, the the guys have kind of, gone gone that way with their caddies versus, uh, you know, just having having business partners, and, and I think it really depends on, on the kind of person um, and what they're looking for inside the ropes, and um, I, I, you know, you can't knock sort of the Gino and Joel relationship, they've won on tour before, they're obviously having a great time out there doing it, same with Max Holman, he's won a bunch, and he's done it with a friend of his uh, you know, on the bag, so um, yeah, it's a, it's a unique thing, because golf is such an individual game, but there's one guy who's kind of right there with you literally in, in lockstep. And, you know, depending on how you are and, and what you're looking for, it could either be a friend or could be just a, a business associate. And you kind of have to make the decision that's right for you.
1: This weekend, it's the PGA on the PGA. It's the Honda classic down in Florida, the LPGA. They're out in Thailand. And then uh live golf also has their opening weekend down in Mayacoba in Mexico's Riviera Maya. Uh, should be a great weekend for golf. Um, preferably the PGA Tour, but hey, to each their own. Adam, enjoy it, my man. Thanks for taking some time today.
3: Yeah, no no worries, guys. Thanks so much for this. Appreciate it.
1: There you go. Adam Stanley, Golf Insider.
2: Uh, and the man you yeah. go to when the Canadians are playing well, without a doubt. I, Matt, you probably remember this, but like back in the day, like, you know, Tigers winning, you have Phil's up at the top, Jim Furyk, you're watching, like, the, the bottom line yeah. on whatever channel.
1: Young Jason Day. Yeah, and
2: you see, like, uh, it's like, T fifty five Canadian Maple Leaf, yeah, you know something like point. that or something like that. It's just like, you, oh, was, well, Mike was, Weir finished twentieth. Yeah. Wow, good for Mike Weir. Or Ian Leggett did well, or Stephen Ames did really. He won the players and all that. But you know now it's just like every we, weekend. It's there's almost someone. like you don't expect it, but there is like, hey, wow, there is there is Canadian hanging around the leaderboard on Sunday. They're in. there they're they're at the top you know, of the leaderboard on Sunday. And that's something that, you know, maybe we never thought we'd see. And we see it across a lot of sports that Canada was very maybe slow to get to. Now you start seeing them up with golf, tennis, soccer, and all that stuff. So I think it's just pretty cool seeing all these Canadians just, uh, just killing it on tour right now. Yeah, making some money, oh, yeah. paying some bills. Yeah, and, and away from the the PGA, Brooke obviously one of the best women's player on the planet.
1: The LBGA gets going again today or this weekend. Uh,
2: Stephen Ames just won a Champions Tour event. Yeah,
1: he won the big Moroccan dagger. Yeah, I
2: think he's like the number one number one in the Champions League Tour standings right now. I'm not sure, but he's up there. So yeah, like Stephen Ames is doing. all It's good for Canadian golf right now. Mike Weir is currently, uh, looks like he's second here. So Weir's second, so where's Ames at? <laughs> that might be a little more down. Yeah, that might, no, we'll figure it out. But anyway, right he, won yeah, mat, he won a tournament. He's doing a really good job. It's yeah. good, good to see him. Canadian uh-huh. golf.
1: Yeah. We'll take a break. Uh, back to hockey for our third hour of the program. If you missed it, great chat with Jason Bukula earlier to start this hour on the Flames and just what he's seen from the group as a whole. Uh, if you miss that, the podcast will be up ah, 15, 20-ish minutes here, plus our chat with Adam Stanley. But coming up, Greg Wachinski joins the program. We're going to ask him some trade deadline stuff. What was going down in Carolina? How is the party? And then uh, Peter Labardi is going to stop by to chat a little bit of flames after the weekend, too. All of that ahead as we continue. It's The Big Show, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.